0: Our gospel passage from the 22nd chapter of Matthew begins with the words, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. I find this to be an interesting phrasing used by Matthew. Entangle Jesus in his words. Both Mark and Luke tell about this same event. Mark says trap him and Luke says catch him. These might technically be considered to say the same thing, but my take on Matthew's wording is that he is telling us more the nature of what the Pharisees are doing. To trap or to catch can be something as simple as listening closely and just waiting for the verbal mistake. In such a case, the Pharisees are plotting and they are waiting. They are wanting for Jesus to fail. That is certain. That phrasing, to catch, to trap, does not immediately mean they're trying to manipulate the situation in order to get Jesus to fail. Matthew says that the Pharisees plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. Matthew is telling us, that the Pharisees are not only waiting to catch Jesus in a verbal mistake, they're actively trying to get him twisted around so that he says something either against the faith or against the Romans so they can have Jesus charged. In one direction, they say he's a heretic. He's leading you away from God. Stop following him. In the other direction, they claim he's an insurrection. He's speaking against the state. Stop people from listening to him. Herod, you need to arrest him. Throw him in jail and kill him. The Pharisees will accept either choice at this point, as long as Jesus is silenced. The Pharisees want their power back. To get their power back, the Pharisees need the person who has captured the attention of the people discredited. The Pharisees do not care about the truth. The Pharisees do not care if Jesus is guilty. The Pharisees only need for Jesus to sound guilty. The Pharisees only need to get somebody to believe that Jesus is in the wrong and needs to be removed from the public scene. This sounds Remarkably like today's politics, out-of-context soundbites and manipulated photos abound, and does not matter what a candidate said if you can be convinced that what was said is against what you believe. The point today, however, is not, even though I suspect it shall be happening in many parishes today, to use our gospel as a launch pad for political discourse, with one minor exception at the end. Our point today is to look at the Pharisees and Jesus' response to them with the purpose of learning more about our own Christian responsibility and Christian life. The first thing the Pharisees do is plot how to entangle Jesus in his words. As said, they do not only want to wait and catch Jesus saying something wrong, they want to make sure that Jesus will say something wrong and thereby get him removed from the public eye. They begin by trying to ingratiate their way into Jesus' favor and trust. They start pouring on the compliments and kissing up to him. First, they address him as teacher. They appear to affirm Jesus' status as a person with the authority to teach. Then they really lay it on. You teach the truth. And the way of God. Then they invite the controversial statement. You're not afraid. You don't care about other people's opinion. You're not worried about keeping up appearances. You're bold in your truth telling. All statements designed to entice Jesus out onto some verbal thin ice. Then they put before Jesus the controversial question that once answered will give them what they want, a way to bring charges against him. Tell us, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The Pharisees lay before Jesus the perfect example of a false dichotomy. There is very little in the world that can be answered with a simple yes-no. And the more controversial the issue, the less likely the answer can be reduced to yes or no. Now the Pharisees take the matter of taxes, which can be controversial even in the most benign of circumstances, and ask Jesus to give a yes or no answer in relation to paying taxes to Caesar, the Roman occupier, the oppressor. The Pharisees are expecting for Jesus to walk straight into the trap that they have crafted If Jesus says pay taxes to Caesar, then he is no friend of the Jews. He has sided with the occupation forces, the oppressors, the one that they yearn to cast off and be free. If Jesus says to pay taxes to Caesar, he will lose the popular support that is growing daily. The people will see him as a traitor and turn away from him. But if Jesus says, no, do not pay the taxes... The Pharisees will report him to the Romans. They will claim that Jesus is agitating for a tax revolt. The last tax revolt that occurred in Judea was a little over 20 years prior to this day, this event that we're talking about this morning. And that tax revolt resulted in a brutal war that was extremely costly, both in finances and lives lost on both sides. As a result, ever since the war, the Romans quickly quashed any hint of a tax revolt. The Pharisees therefore knew that if they could trick Jesus into saying that the Jews should not pay taxes, the Romans would make Jesus disappear. As already said, no matter which of the answers Jesus gives, the Pharisees were going to win, or so they thought. They would get Jesus out of their lives and their power over the people would be restored. But Jesus saw through their plan. He recognized the trap. It could be our first subtle learning point of the day. When asked a controversial question, and yes, no, as an answer is what is demanded, the answer most likely is neither yes or no, in the question itself, a trap. Jesus confronts the Pharisees in response. You hypocrites, why do you put me to the test? Jesus is pointing out that they are asking a question that they themselves will not answer. At least, not out loud. You hypocrites, why put me to the test? Why are you asking me the question that you will not answer? And Jesus goes on to say, "Bring Bring me the coin for paying the taxes. When the Pharisees gave Jesus the coin, Jesus pointed out that it was a Roman coin. Jesus asked them, whose image is this? Whose name is written here on the coin? The Pharisees answered, it is Caesar. At that point, Jesus really did not have to say anything more. The fact that they were carrying Roman money proved that they had already submitted to Rome. The Pharisees had already accepted the monetary system. And the rules that went with it It already accepted the reality of their Roman occupiers. They bought and sold and paid their taxes with the mark of Caesar. Unlike money here in the United States that's marked with past presidents, and in the rare exception non-presidents such as Benjamin Frank, Franklin, our money is marked to honor those of the past Roman money was marked with the reigning Caesar. The mark of each successive Caesar replaced the previous. Old coins replaced with new coins. The old Caesar replaced with the new Caesar. Each time the emperor changed, the money changed. And the people accepted the new marked coins as how they would buy and sell and pay their taxes. When the Pharisees handed Jesus the coin, they handed him the mark of Caesar Tiberius, by which they would buy and sell and pay their taxes. In another 24 or so years, they would be buying and selling and paying their taxes with the mark of Caesar Nero, who was, as the reigning Caesar, so brutal and initiated such violent persecution that he was known in the region as the beast. Then Jesus, with that coin and his questions about Caesar, He upended the conversation and sidestepped the trap. If this coin has Caesar's face on it, and this coin has Caesar's name on it, then this coin must belong to Caesar. If it belongs to Caesar, then give it to Caesar. And then Jesus adds his classic barb at the end. That small hook to get the listener or the reader's attention turned and directed an understanding of what Jesus' real priority is. If the coin belongs to Caesar, then give it back to Caesar. And give to God what is God's. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are supposed to be leading the people in the faith, but instead you are playing games with politics. Go and give Caesar what belongs to him, but do so in order to be free to give to God what belongs to God. What belongs to God? All of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our strength, all of our souls. Give to God all that is his and all the rest becomes much less important. Jesus gave his guidance recognizing that we are currently trapped between two rulers, God the Father and his kingdom, and the earthly authority who governs our communities, some good, some bad. So Jesus tells us to give what we must to the earthly, so that we are free to give everything, all our hearts, all our minds, all our strength, all of our soul, to God. And today that equates to the taxes, certain aspects of civic duty, such as voting, and in general being what would be classed a good citizen, These belong to the government, so we give them to the government. But they should not dominate our way of being. Our way of being belongs to God. And we are to give God all that is God's, and that is all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and all our soul. Amen.